Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Hey, welcome to Liquid, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Christmas playlist. I'm Pastor Tim and um, we are taking a look at some of the classic carols of the Christmas season. I wanted to show you a little something I brought with me. This is something that arrived this week. This is an early Christmas present to me, from me. And it is something that only those of you under the age of 30 will recognize. Do you know what this is? It is a record player. This is actually a vintage record player, but believe it or not, it's hooked up to speakers and can play MP3s and stuff. And what I wanted to do is begin by bringing some of my own Christmas record albums. Elvis's Christmas, um, Bob Marley. I don't know what that's doing in there. I just like Bob Marley. Uh, it's kind of fun because now modern bands are releasing vinyl albums in addition to CDs. This is Mumford and Sons. And again, if you are under the age of 30, let me show you how this works. This is called the record. And what happens here is the record, this is so cool because like Mumford and Sons, right? So they put out their CDs and MP3s on iTunes, but this is their vinyl. And what you do is with a record player, you put this thing, I'm serious. My daughter did not know what this is. And uh, she goes, what is that dad? Like a UFO? Let me get this thing on here. And you put this on here and this is kind of cool. I won't play the whole thing for you, but this is the needle. And so I put this on and started playing this in my house yesterday. And my daughter says, can I try it dad? I go, Sure. She, no kidding, she took the needle and goes, scratch, 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 She's never seen a record that wasn't being scratched. That's what she thought this was for, like a DJ turntable. So now I actually have um, Bob Marley completely scratched. I will probably re-gift this to somebody at Christmas. But this, this is Christmas playlist, and what we're doing is taking some of the classic vintage tunes that we all hear at the holiday season. Let's be honest. Some people don't like Christmas music because it gets kind of wall-to-wall. You go shopping, you know, in the mall, and you're hearing, you know, secular songs, sacred songs all together, and it kind of mashes up, right? We all have our favorites, like, you know, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but then we'll have, like, you know, Rudolph and all of that, and it meshes together, and at Christmas, people are like, oh, I I love Christmas, you know? There was Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, the three wise men, Frosty, Rudolph, uh, you know, and Santa and all that. It gets together. And so what I want to do is this. Before you tune out all of the Christmas music that you're going to get bombarded with in the car, even at church sometimes, I want to wake you up to some of the profound theological insights and wisdom in some of these classic Christian Christmas carols. So, for instance, what we're going to do is each week, We're going to take one song, and then we're going to look at the lyrics, what they're saying about the truth of the gospel that inspired the lyrics. And my goal is that when Christmas arrives, you'll actually have fresh eyes, and you'll be able to worship Christ with a fuller heart. So today, I want to look at the song you just heard, Away in a Manger. I love that performance. That's not how I learned it in Sunday school. But the verses of Away in a Manger were first published in 1884. It was originally thought to possibly be a lullaby song written by Martin Luther. So the father of, you know, the great reformation, um, they thought he wrote this for his kids to put them to bed. And you can see why, right? It kind of has that soothing lullaby um, verse to it. It says, away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. You know, it sounds like something a mother would sing. But I always found the second stanza sort of funny, right? 
The cattle are lowing. First off, what is lowing? Is it like, I don't know. It says, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Isn't that just like a newborn baby not to cry? Like, this is realistic. Like, where do you get one of these non-crying babies? That's amazing. Now, the author is disputed because they, they say maybe it wasn't Martin Luther. Somebody else wrote this lyric. But I think there's something about this song that makes it one of the really the top five of the season for a specific reason. There's something about envisioning Jesus Christ born in a manger. You guys know what a manger is. It's just a feeding trough for horses and donkeys. And it's a very humble idea that at Christmas, God stripped himself of his power and his glory. He took on human flesh and he was born in the lowest place possible. Basically, the baby Jesus was was born and then placed in a dog's dish. That would be our modern day equivalent. And what was the idea? God's point was to show that none of us are too low for his grace, right? That God's love and the gift of salvation is for everybody. Not just the people born with a silver spoon in their mouth or the rich or privileged, but for all of us. But in a way in a manger, there's a recurring phrase in this song that kind of conjures up where this comes from in the gospel of Luke chapter 2. And this is what I want to focus on today. We printed this in your notes. The phrase repeated over and over again is, the little Lord Jesus, little Lord Jesus, kind of this cute phrase. And whenever I would hear that, it conjured this mental picture of, you know, the six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, right? You know, you remember that kind of thing, the little baby Jesus, and it's very cute, but I think this does a disservice to the scripture because the original announcement of Jesus's birth here in Luke 2 is so much bigger, it's so much grander than the little baby who barely cries, right? Let me show you what I mean. Luke 2 says there were shepherds out in the field, they're watching their flocks, and an angel of the Lord appears to them, and here's what he said. He said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a what? A Savior has been born to you. He is who? Say this phrase, Christ the Lord. And you see the two titles there, Savior and Lord. This is where the author of the Away in a Manger song got the phrase, Little Lord Jesus. But I think it's actually misleading because there's nothing little about the Lordship of Christ. And this is our big idea today. I wanted to kind of kick off this Christmas series by getting up in your grill a little bit. Is that all right? If you're taking notes, the big idea of scripture, of this song, of our entire church is summed up in three words, and that is, Jesus is Lord. Can we say this together? Jesus is Lord. Over 740 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Lord, 740 times. So it's a pretty significant title. And the first time we see it is in Luke chapter 2, right here. For centuries, people had been awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah just means the anointed one, the Christ, the one that God would send to save his people. And people wondered, well, who is this baby? And the angel announced he is Christ the Lord. This is God's chosen one, the anointed, his one and only son sent to be savior of the world. Jesus is Lord. But the big question I want to ask you today is this. What does this mean to you? Jesus is Lord. What does that look like in everyday life? In other words, if you're married, what does Jesus as Lord mean in your marriage? If you're dating, what does the Lordship of Christ mean in your relationship? If you're running a business, what does Jesus as Lord mean in your work? What does it mean, Jesus as Lord, 
when you're out of the shopping mall going for Christmas presents, right? What does it mean to make Jesus Lord over all of your life? Well, there's a Greek word, I put it in your notes today, that is the original translated as Lord, and it's the Greek word kurios. Can we say that together? Ready? All our campuses. Kurios. And it means supreme in authority, controller, and Lord. And I imagine for some of you that's that second word that's a problem, controller, right? Because it means if Jesus is your controller, he has some competition in you (laughs) because you want to be in control. Am I right? Any control freaks here today? Nope, just you, Tim, right? Okay, rest of you lying. I get it. Uh, I actually, uh, no, I actually don't have a control problem. That's not an area for me. As long as everybody does exactly as I say, there are no issues whatsoever, right? I may be a little bit controlling. I, in fact, I asked my wife this weekend. I said, you know, honey, am I controlling? And she kind of goes, ha, 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 you know? And I go, what's so funny? And she goes, look what's in your hand. I had literally in my hand the remote control, right? And it's understood that, you know, in our house, anyone can watch what they want. But like when daddy enters the room, I just literally put out my hand and the kids hand it to me because they know daddy is the curios, the controller of the remote. Because I like to watch like six things at once, like ADD, all that stuff. And if, even if they're watching a movie, I'll take it because I like to flip through a lot of things. And in 20 minutes later, everyone will be out of the room. Why? Because dad is lord of the remote, right? And he's in control. He's sort of out of control. Curios means controller. It's the guy who calls the shots. It's the one who has the final say. And the Bible says, Jesus is kurios. He is Lord. He's the controller of all creation, and that includes all of your life. Now think about that, because a lot of us, if you're like me, you like to be in control, but there's probably areas of your life that, if you're honest, are like a little bit out of control, right? Like, around Christmas time, our schedule, our family schedule gets super, super crunchy because we're running here and there, visiting relatives, you know, shopping, all that stuff, and it feels like sort of out of control. Or maybe there's a habit you have, you know, like drinking, like you drink to kind of take the edge off, and it's actually a little out of control sometimes. Or how about overeating, right? The holidays, people just kind of let that just go fly. And so whenever there's an area in our life that feels out of control, If you're like me, you compensate by trying to clamp down and control other areas of your life to compensate. So maybe that person is like, well, certainly at the holidays, I like my house to look a certain way so that when people come in, they see our family, like I control the environment there. Or my home life is so out of control that, um, you know, I go to the gym three times a week. I train for marathons because I can't control what's happening at home, but I can control exercise and running long distances kind of helps me cope and feel like kind of in control. Or if you're in a household where the spending is out of control, the Christmas season starts making you very nervous because you're like, you know, your spouse is like, I'm going shopping, it's Black Friday, and you see red instead of black because you're like, we are going to go into debt again. We have cut up these credit cards for the last time. That they, our, our finances are out of control, and you worry about that at Christmas time. What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord in all of those areas? What does it mean to say Christ is in control of my family. Christ is in control of my finances, of my relationship or my kids. For the remainder of our time, I want to talk about what it means to surrender all of your life to the Lordship of Christ. How do we do that, especially in those areas that might be closed off, where we prefer a little Lord Jesus rather than Christ the Lord of all? I want to play with those two ideas, that there are some 
Christians who prefer a little Lord Jesus. Do you remember the Will Ferrell movie, Talladega Nights? They would, pray, they would say, all right, let's say grace. And he says, I'm going to pray to Jesus, but I'm going to pray to the baby Jesus. I love the baby Jesus best. I just envision him, six pounds, eight ounces, his golden little fleece diapers. And, and I think that a lot of Christians today prefer a little Lord Jesus. In other words, I want just enough of Jesus to make sure I'm saved, uh, my sins are forgiven, I pop into church now and then just to make sure I'm good. And yes, there are some glaring areas that are out of God's control in my life, but I actually prefer a little Lord Jesus. Unfortunately, I fear that this is where the majority of American Christians live. If you're listening online or you're in another part of the world, you're in like Asia or China, I understand that you may be from a culture where a little Lord Jesus is not an option, right? The persecution is intense, and to be called a Christian is not something casual. It can actually cost you your life. But where we live in America in the 21st century, there are a lot of casual Christians, or what I would call cultural Christians, and they call themselves Christian because it simply means, well, yeah, I grew up kind of believing in Jesus, and I'm not Jewish, or I'm not Muslim, or something else. I, I attend a Christian church. Uh, maybe I go to a Bible study or a life group on Tuesday nights where I get my fill-up of a little Lord Jesus. But for the rest of the week, I'm good. He doesn't really factor into other areas. And that's a major issue for many of us here today because the scriptures say that there is no such thing as a little Lord Jesus. The Bible says that either Christ is Lord of all or not at all. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad or guilty going into Christmas. But I want to be faithful to what the Lordship of Christ really means. I spent the week going here from Luke 2 through a lot of relevant passages that talk about the Lordship of Christ. And it's amazing when you look through the New Testament. If you skip four chapters over to Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about these wise and foolish builders. And what he's saying is there are some people who build their whole life on the Lordship of Christ. In other words, everything they say Everything they do, everything they spend is filtered through Christ's supremacy. But then there are foolish builders who kind of say, I'll do that, but I kind of fudge and I build on the sand. And of course, the storm hits and everything gets washed away. Look what Jesus says about the, his lordship to the foolish builders. He says this in Luke 6. Why do you call me, what? Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. In other words, why are you giving me lip service when I want life service? If you're taking notes, that's the first characteristic of those who want a little Lord Jesus. They're believers who offer lip service to Christ. In other words, we kind of talk about it and get into our Christian vibe in certain circles, but then in other areas, not surrendered at all to God. I think, honestly, if Jesus were here today, hey, special guest, Jesus is here, everybody, woo! Uh, every, have people say, like, oh, I have so many questions for God. But what if Jesus said, actually, I have a question for you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Whoa. In other words, I don't want a bunch of talk. I want you to walk the walk. Why do you call me kurios, that I'm in control? Do you do that because you want to make sure that you can get out of hell, but then do whatever the hell you want? Whoa. Oh, back. I told you I'm going to get up in your grill. It's a hard-hitting question, but I want you to hang with me for a minute without getting defensive. Unfortunately, today... I think a lot of modern people would say, well, I believe in, in Jesus as Lord, but I still want to be in control in certain areas. I want to call the shots. I want the final say. I want a little Lord Jesus, not a lot of Lord Jesus, and certainly not Lord of all my life. And so practically speaking, it means we approach 
the Bible with a filter. We read certain passages and we say, oh, I like this. I, I like that Jesus is Lord over relationships and he has somebody planned for me. Um, okay, he wants me to have sexual integrity. He wants me to remain pure before marriage, but that's actually not an area that I'm willing to give up. So I'll just tear that one out. See, because I, I read about Jesus, but oh yeah, that what he's saying about, you know, what happens with my girlfriend, that's our business, so not their Lord. Actually, in fact, what I look at online, that's my business too. I'm not ready to give that up. Jesus is Lord. And he says, forgive your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But you don't know what she did to me, Jesus. I'm not going to do that. There's 70 times 70. What are you, are you kidding me? I'll just pause right here because I see it on your faces. Some of you are like, Pastor Tim is going to get struck by lightning any minute. (laughs) Clear out. I get that. Uh, Let me actually be honest with you. We got a shipment of Bibles that were missing 40 pages. And so we have an extra case of Bibles, and so this is one of them. Uh, but the, as I'm tearing this up, let me just, let me just my, I think my point is, is, is you get it. The truth is, many of us tear up God's word every day with the way that we live and the decisions we make, isn't it? We're very selective. And Jesus says, hang on, don't call me Lord, Lord, and then you go do whatever pleases you. Who's in control here? See, either I'm Lord of all, or not at all. Can we say this together? Either Christ is Lord of all or not at all. That's the second thing people do who just want a little Lord Jesus. He or she offers lip service to Christ and plays Pandora with the Bible. You guys know what Pandora is? Pandora is basically an internet radio station where you only listen to the songs that you like, right? On old school, you know, analog radio, you got to listen to whatever they put on or you got to change the channel. Or with a, a record, you have to play like the whole album and everything. But with Pandora, it's great because what Pandora does is if you like the song, you give it a thumbs up. But if you don't like the song, what happens? Thumbs down. And then it takes away all the kind of music that sounds like that and creates a playlist built on your personal preferences. I love Pandora. So like, I'm listening to my iPod and it plays like, you know, Tim McGraw. I'm like, woo, thumbs up. Any else country here? No. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you. I love it. I can see you. No teeth. That is awesome. That's all good. Just teasing. Te- 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 uh, or, you know, a Chris, right? Oh my gosh. Here comes Mariah Carey again. All I want for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is never to hear all I want for Christmas ever again. And so I give it a thumbs down. And Pandora's fabulous because you construct this playlist based on your personal preferences. And you know what? I think that's how a lot of people approach the Bible. We, we, we favor some passages and verses because it fits our lifestyle. And the ones that we don't, we just kind of tune it out. You know, I like 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Oh, love is kind. Thumbs up. But 1 Corinthians, oh, about, about women? Oh, I don't like that. That's outdated. 1 Corinthians 6 about sexual purity in the church? Oh, thumbs down, out of my playlist. Don't talk to me about that. Thumbs up. I love when Jesus talks about the poor. Oh, it's so good. Tithing? Give 10% of my income to the church? That's ridiculous. Jesus didn't live in New Jersey, okay? Let me tell you something. You think Caesar Augustus is bad, you try Chris Christie, all right? Let me tell you why. I like the baby in the manger, no crying he makes. But I tell you, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, sorry, that's a little heavy-handed for me, pardon the pun. Um, I think a lot of modern Christians play Pandora with the Bible. They say, I will accept this part, but not that. This applies to my lifestyle, but I don't like this one. This seems extreme. This one is flat-out irrelevant. This one, (laughs) I don't like the tone of your voice, God, right? 
That's what we do. Think about that. We tell the Lord, I don't like your, the tone of your voice, what you're saying. Here's a question. What part of God's word are you most tempted to play Pandora with? Because you don't like the sound of it. Is there an area of your life that's closed to Christ's truth and you don't really want to surrender it to his to control? Because the truth is there's no such thing as a little Lord Jesus. Either Christ is Lord of all or not at all. Jesus was born into humble circumstances. But to make him Lord of our life means that you have to accept the whole truth, including the difficult claims that he made. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. If you want to find your life, you must what? Lose it. In other words, turn it over to me. You have to surrender it. I am the supreme in authority, and it's my call, not yours. I'm the one in control, and you come under my lordship, not the other way around. Why do you call me Lord, but not do what I say? I didn't come to this world to call half-hearted, lukewarm followers who give me lip service and play Pandora with my word. So here's a question for you. I want to call time out because I realize it's like getting heavy and you're like, what? Gotch. Honest question. All right. I'll be very open right now. In your heart, be open to what God may be speaking to you. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What haven't I surrendered to the Lord. What area of my life is still under my control that I may be unwilling to actually open my hands and give over to God? I want you to take a moment, all of our campuses, to reflect on this. What might God be putting his finger on in your life right now? Maybe it's something that came to your attention this week, okay? As I've been talking, maybe the Holy Spirit has brought something to your mind, and that's, that's out of love. It's not to make you feel guilty. God loves, he disciplines and corrects those he loves. But what area of your life, right now, if you're honest, hasn't really been surrendered? Like, God, you can have all of it. It could be any number of things. But I want you to be really open and really honest for the remainder of our time to whatever it is. And I left room in your notes for you to write it down. Maybe it's just a word or two that represents an area of your life. Write it down, give it a name, be specific. For some, it may be the big plan, you know, that you had in your 20s, right? Because a lot of times when we're, when we're young, we say, well, I, I plan for my life to go a certain way. I'm going to go this kind of college. I'm going to get this sort of job, and I'm going to marry that kind of spouse, and I'll live the, we'll live the American dream together. And you look back, and you're like, well, it hasn't turned out that way. But you're still holding on to that dream that you had architected for how your life should go. But maybe you're at this moment where you're wondering, Maybe God has a different plan for my life, but I'm not sure I I trust that. I'm not sure I want to give this dream up to follow that path because it seems uncertain, and I like this. Maybe you're holding control of that dream, or maybe maybe you're the generation above. Those are your kids, (laughs) and you're concerned about how uncertain the direction of your children's life looks, and you actually, you haven't let go of control of your kids you got to let go of their expectations for them and say, you know what? I'm surrendering control of my children, giving them back to their heavenly father. What area in your life haven't you surrendered to the Lord? For me, in my um, early 20s, it was my finances, all right? That's always just been something for me. My family was like, didn't grow up rich or any of that kind of stuff. And when I was in my 20s, I got my first job. I was a teacher, so I was poor. I'm still poor, not as poor as a teacher, but, you know, and I remember because I would rationalize it, my first job that I got, I hated that idea of tithing because I grew up where, like, it was very legalistic. You have to give, like, a certain amount back to the church or else everyone goes, and so I would actually, imagine this, this is crazy, I can't believe I did this, but I would go to church, and sometimes, because I didn't like the idea that 
I get taxed by the government, and now I get taxed by the church. Because, you know, they pass, like, you know, the plate around or offering popcorn buckets, whatever it is. And so I would actually arrive late to the service. I knew that at 12 to 13 minutes in, they would be passing the plate, and they'd be playing some crummy music. And so I would wait until after that got passed so that I could come in and avoid the religious tax. That was just, I'm just telling you, it's my terrible attitude, because I saw a tithe was a tax. Well, what got worse is, as I, I continued teaching, and then we early got married, I treated the tithe more like a tip. So we would start coming to service, and when they passed the bucket, I'd be like, well, you know what? I like the music today. Good job. I'm going to make it rain. Here's a five. You know? Seriously, like, like I, would, I would tip. That's what I thought like tithing was. It was still all about me. What did I think of the, you know, the service? And oh, I didn't like the preacher. He went too long. You know, I'm only going to give you this amount. And, and that's how that would go. And at the end of the year, I would feel so guilty because I'd have this, you know, I'd be like, I put myself first, not, you know, God first. And in that area of my finances, I didn't get it. I thought it was about pleasing God by doing certain things. It wasn't in my heart. It wasn't out of generosity and love for what God did for me. And so when it came to my finances, I was half-hearted, and I was lukewarm towards God's promises. I was a part-time follower of Christ. That was an area that I hadn't surrendered to the Lord yet, even though I knew that he was my Savior. I preferred, practically speaking, a little Lord Jesus. But then I came to the realization that Christ is Lord of all or not at all. So could you be honest for a minute? Maybe it's a different area for you, because almost all of us, In one way or another, we are living a partially surrendered life when Jesus says, no, I want everything. Let me give you an example of how that looks. Because if you contrast the little Lord Jesus approach to faith, what does it mean when someone offers all of their life to Christ at Christmas? When they say, I am an all-in Christian. I'm not just a Sunday Christian. I'm not just a Christian when it's convenient or when God's truth just basically affirms the lifestyle choices I've already made. See, in contrast to those who offer lip service to God, The fully devoted follower offers life service, not just partial surrender, but full, wholehearted, unconditional surrender to Christ's authority. Listen how the Apostle Paul describes this in Romans 14. He says, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. It's not about me. If we live, it's to honor who? The Lord, the kurios, same word here. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord, the kurios. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord, the kurios, the control, the supreme in authority, Christ. My life is not my own. It's all Christ, whether I live or die, whatever I do, however I work, everything is oriented around Christ being my Lord. If you meet somebody who has structured their entire life around the Lordship of Christ, it is truly inspiring what God does through them. Last week, I was sharing a meal with John and Jill Carino, incredible family. Uh, they were part of our Nutley campus, helped launch Mountainside, and now they attend Morristown. The Carinos are, are very, they're amazing family. John owns a couple of restaurants, an Italian place and a steakhouse in Nutley. And I was asking him, I said, well, John, how did you get into the restaurant business? It was so interesting because he said, well, I wasn't planning to. I'm actually a lawyer by trade. That's his training. And he was helping a guy who uh, was uh, in some, you know, he owned a restaurant, but he was struggling with it. And so John was helping him uh, legally and all that stuff. And John saw this opportunity to help, and one thing led to another, and he purchased this failing business in under 12 months, turned the whole thing around. Super successful now. He's a super smart guy, entrepreneur. You guys know the restaurant business is super hard to do, so he's a brilliant guy. But it was cool because John said, Tim, one of the reasons I did that is I wanted this restaurant to be a place where I could serve and share Christ with people out in public. And I was like, well, how do you do that? 
He says, well, the first thing I do is because I host a weekly meal, a lunch for his employees of the restaurants. He goes, where I serve them, we cater, it's really nice. And the only thing I ask is they have to sit there and watch the liquid message from Sunday. He actually gets a back room, serves them food, and watches the liquid message. I was like, how's that go? He's like, it's amazing what free food will do, you know? And the other thing he does is he helps a lot of the waitresses and, like, busboys because some of them need legal advice and free. And he offers them free help and assistance and all that. And in Nutley, at our campus, he feeds our church volunteers every month. It's an incredible spread of food. John is very generous, and we are very grateful. In fact, can we hear it for all of the volunteers who serve food to our volunteers at all our campuses? You are serving our servant leaders. Thank you. We are deeply grateful for you doing that. But here's what's coolest. So during our Jesus Loves Jersey outreach, John said, hey, I'd love to serve the poor and low-income families at the steakhouse, so you guys take it over. It was awesome. So John said, take over the restaurant and host this lavish feast in my new catering hall. And he invited all of these families in need, senior citizens on low income, single parents with kids living below the poverty line. And it was like a wedding reception. He pulled out all the stops, donated all the food. Many of you served there. And, you know, we just loved on these people. And it was an amazing night. And I said, John, thank you so much for that. What a great idea. And he said, well, it wasn't my idea. He goes, I ripped it off. I was like, where'd you rip it off? He goes, well, in the Bible. He goes, I'm reading where Jesus tells that story about a king who throws this big wedding feast. And at first he invites the rich people, but they say they're too busy and can't come. And if you remember, the king sends out his servant into the alleys and the streets. And who does he invite? The poor, the lame, the crippled. And he throws this party for them. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And he goes, I figured if Jesus did it, let's do this. And I was like, that's amazing. In other words, God just spoke. He goes, yeah, he goes, that's why I realized what part of my business is for. And it reminded me of the second characteristic of lordship Christians. They submit to scripture. Instead of playing Pandora with the Bible, they submit to scripture. John was actually feeding on God's word. Are you? Do you regularly like feed on this? Say, Lord, challenge me. Because he reads this very challenging passage on generosity to the poor. And instead of skipping over it, no, nah, not so much. Thumbs down. He leaned into it. He leaned into it and said, God, what do you want from me? And John is a busy guy. Let me tell you, he's got a couple of kids. He's probably busier than you, a couple of businesses to run, his own family to feed, which simply means the more time and money he invests serving others, less for his own family. But guess what? John inspired me because I'm like, this is a guy who doesn't draw a line between Sunday and Monday, between the secular and the sacred. He said, I'm opening all of my life, my nine to five, to the Lordship of Christ. He's like, Tim, if God gave everything for me, why wouldn't I give it all back to him? He offers life service to Jesus, not lip service. He obeys scripture because he realizes this is the best investment I can make here on earth. Does that, is, that, is your life like that? It challenged me because I'm like, man, I'm a Sunday guy, kind of bulk of my work. I'm kind of a professional Christian. But what about Monday through Friday? I don't know what you do or how that applies, but listen to what Colossians instructs us. It says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from who? The Lord, the kurios as a reward. It's the kurios Christ. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Making Christ is about opening all access of your life Monday through Sunday to the Lord's influence. And there is no greater, guys, there's a greater reward in your life than being successful. There's being significant for God's kingdom. There's significance, but it comes with personal cost. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must what? He must 
deny himself or herself. That means saying yes to the Lord means you have to say no to yourself sometimes. And we don't like that. Lordship requires self-denial. We are not known for living in denial exactly in America, is it? It was funny. I was going to the gym on Friday, and I see this other guy who kind of works out there, and he's standing at the bottom of the stairs before we get into the gym. And he's kind of hunched over, and he's got his hoodie on like he's hiding. And it was weird because I know this guy. He's like a workout kind of maniac. He's always sweating. And I know he's, I think he wants to lose weight because he's like working with a trainer and working real hard. He's standing at the foot of the stairs, and I like walking in with my bag. I was like, hey, what's up, man? He just goes, oh, I'm busted. He has a little cup with a red plastic spoon going like this. See, the Carvel shop is three stores down from the gym. And he had stopped in there, and he got a Carvalanche. And he goes, dude, it's cookie dough. It's amazing. Do you want some? And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. And I, I walk. It's so funny because he's standing there with his bag, and he's got his workout clothes on and everything. I was just like, okay. And I walk up in the, in the gym and everything. And about 30 seconds later, who trots up? He must have thrown it away. He trots up into the gym, and he says to his personal trainer, he goes, all right, man, you ready? And he unzips. He goes, let's do this, Right? He's going to go into this strong regimen because I want to lose weight as long as I don't personally have to sacrifice this little area of my life. I don't want to say no to me. I want, yes, get in shape, but I'm not willing to change anything about my lifestyle. That's how a lot of people approach Christianity. They say yes to Jesus, but they can't say no to themselves. Do I want eternal life? Yes. At personal sacrifice? No. What might God be asking you today, this Christmas, to sacrifice fully to follow him? What would you be willing to deny yourself to make Jesus Lord of all? As Kyle Eidelman writes in his book, Not a Fan, he says, followers are willing to deny themselves and say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus over my family. I choose Jesus over money. I choose Jesus over career goals. I am his completely. I choose Jesus over getting drunk. I choose Jesus over looking at porn. I choose Jesus over a redecorated house. I choose Jesus over my freedom. I choose Jesus over what other people may think of me. A follower makes a decision every day to deny himself and choose Jesus, even if it costs what? Everything. See, guys, that's the high price of lordship. Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. You can't say yes to Christ's lordship without saying no to yourself on a daily basis. And that's the challenge I want to give those of you here today who would say Jesus is my Savior and Lord. See, most of us think these terms are interchangeable, that they're synonyms. They mean the same thing. They don't. Let me clarify this. At Christmas, we celebrate God's free gift of salvation to us, right? But salvation is different than the demands of lordship. Salvation costs us nothing. Lordship demands everything. Watch. Salvation means you can't save yourself. And so at Christmas, what does God do? He sends his son, who's born in a manger, not to an earthly father, so that he won't have a sin nature. And he becomes sin for you on the cross. And by trusting in his sacrifice, you receive eternal life. Is there anything you did to earn that? No. It is a free gift of God. But lordship costs you everything. Lordship says, you know what? Because I realize what God did for me. He didn't spare his own son. God so loved the world that he, what? He gave 
his one and only son, that whoever believes in him receives eternal life. Because I recognize Jesus is my savior, to make him Lord, I'm willing to give up anything to follow him anywhere. And you know what? Whatever he asks me to give up is worth it because of his glory and his greatness and his goodness, and I can trust him with everything. Do you trust God that way? What would your schedule say? What would your finances say? What would the people who live with you closest say? Yes, so-and-so is saved. But do they really follow Christ as Lord? Do you know him that way? Think about the strongholds. Can we talk about that? The things that bring you comfort. Is Jesus Lord over your alcohol consumption? Ah, I don't want to get legalistic. But you know what? Sometimes I depend on that. It takes the edge off, and maybe sometimes I have too much. And it's hard for me to give up. But what if Jesus said, I want to be Lord over that in your life? What if I, want to be, what if I said, I want to be Lord over your, your reckless spending? <laughs> That was the heart turn for Colleen and I when I hit about 30 years old. What I realized is that I was looking at it from a stingy perspective. I was like, what's God demanding of me? God's like, Lucas, I own all of it. (laughs) 100% is mine. I'm giving you 90. The reason I'm asking you to return 10 is not because I need your money. I want your heart, Tim. I want to be Lord of all your life. But where your treasure is, there your heart follows. So don't tell me, I open my heart, Lord, but keep your wallet closed to me. Is Christ your Lord? And for me, that was a big aha moment. Colleen and I realized we were serving MasterCard. That was our master, not Jesus. Christ was not our master and Lord. MasterCard was. We were just keeping up with the debt payment, you know? And so we began tithing on 10% gross. Not net, not how little can I get by, but gross. And I was like, oh, gross. This is hurts, you know? And we prayed it. We prayed a bold prayer at that time. We said, God, would you enable us through our generosity every year to increase a half to 1% every year that we can just give out to invest in your kingdom, to give to the church, to radically bless people. And by God's faithfulness, guys, that was like 12 years ago. God has allowed us by his grace to increase our giving every year, a half to a percent every year. It is one of the greatest joys that we have learned because we realize we can't outgive God. Like, it's incredible. I just started to realize, like, our time on earth I'm just a steward, and his generosity flows through me, and I get to be part of that. And it's one of the most joyful parts of Christmas for us. We were not there in our 20s. That was a part that I was like, no, thank you. So let me just be super practical, okay? If that's an area for you, this is one of the reasons we do a Christmas offering every December. Because we want to end the year with a focus on giving, on investing in Christ and his kingdom. And so we do things like feed the homeless in Newark for 2014, We are feeding meals for the entire year to the homeless population in Newark. We're investing in high school and middle school. I've told you guys about this. But what Colin and I do, we're like, you know what? Every year, to remind us Jesus is Lord, we give above and beyond our regular tithe at year's end. So if that's like the area that you wrote down and you're like, I think that's an area of tension for me. I've been holding back. Here it is. Make it right with God. Catch up. Be generous. Not out of guilt because God's not after a guilt offering. He wants Christ's grace to grip your heart so that you wake up from that me-first mentality and realize, oh my gosh, the gift I've been given, I'm going to make him not just Savior, but Lord over my life. So offering is just about practicing lordship. Just ask the Lord, how do you want me to sacrifice to help build your kingdom? Remember, Jesus is Lord of all or none at all. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you practice that? Lord of all or none at all? Maybe it's in another area, but do you trust Christ with that? And would you be willing to make that commitment? Let me put it this way. The most haunting verse in all of Scripture for me personally comes from Matthew 7. 
where Jesus says, when I return, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, what? Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So in our world, it would be like, hey, Jesus, didn't you see me, man? I, was, I went to church and everything. I read the Bible. I, I, li- I, listen, I listen to Christian radio. I even get a verse sent to my phone uh, to remind me. So I'm good, right? I raised my hand one time. You see all the stuff that I did? Lord, then I will tell them plainly, I never, what, knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are haunting words. Take it from someone who's a pastor who people look at and say, well, dude, if anybody, you're a, you're a professional Christian. Jesus says, and that's the most dangerous thing to be. It is entirely possible for you to mimic lordship, to perform all sorts of external good deeds, and never know me in your heart as lord of all because you're lacking authentic relationship a genuine trust, love, and affection. You gave me lip service all these years when I was looking for life service. There is a different, friends, between calling Jesus Christ your Savior and making him Lord this Christmas. Either Jesus Christ is Lord of all or not of all. Are there areas in your life that God is calling you to surrender? That's what it was for me. I don't know what it's going to be for you in the weeks to come as we lead up. But the goal of this series is to open your heart more and more to the Lordship of Christ. So that when we get to Christmas, it's like, boom! My heart is with the baby Jesus and the risen Christ. And when he returns as King of kings and Lord of lords, he'll say, there's Lucas. Yes! There's John Carino. Yes, we did this thing. That's the goal. That's the goal. So I want to give you a chance right now to orient your heart around that reality. Would you bow your head with me? All our campuses, just close your eyes for a minute. I want to lead us in a time of prayer and then give you a chance to confess to God the area of your life that you're surrendering to his control. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, send your Holy Spirit. I ask that your Holy Spirit now would speak to the people in this room, all of our campuses, God, in a way that only you can do. And that, Father, my voice would get quieter and quieter and diminish. And Lord, your Holy Spirit would become louder and louder and just speaking in a loving way that only you can. And you're calling your children to a heart shift this Christmas as we surrender to the Lordship of your Son. All of our campuses right now with your heads bowed, we're all praying. If there's an area of your life that God put his finger on, this is a moment for you just to confess that to him. For faith, God is faithful and just when we confess to him the areas that we haven't surrendered. So, Right now, just give it a name. Be specific. Maybe you wrote it in your notes and you can pray after me. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and I surrender now this. You can just say it out loud. Say it under your breath. Pray it in your own mind. Father, I give this back to you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. Be Lord of all in my life. Be Lord of all in my home. Be Lord of my family. Lord of my work. Be Lord of all. Father, right now, looking into the hearts of your people, Father God, there are men and women that you're actually drawing into your family in this moment, Father God, who are putting their faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Father, I ask that you speak to them by your Holy Spirit. I ask right now that they would be surrendering this, and Father, this would mark a moment in their life when they opened it all to you and gave it all back to you. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the conviction that comes with a loving Father. And Lord, I pray that you would confirm your love through the great gift of your Son, Jesus, this Christmas. Let us know how rich we are in you, God. Remind us of your grace. Warm our hearts, Father, by your love. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, everyone said together, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.